0: once people saw that attendance app basically the phone was ringing off the hook people wanted web applications for everything
1: hello and welcome to stories from the workshop i'm your host meredith luff i'm the ceo of anvil platform for building full stack web apps with nothing but python and in this capacity i meet lots of really interesting people building fascinating things Today, I'm talking to Alan Campopiano, research analyst at a school board in Ontario. And he told me how he took a school board that was emailing around Word documents and turned it into a place where principals, superintendents and everyone can get the information they need to help their students at their very fingertips. I started by asking him how he got into this business.
0: I I went back to school, I actually have a music degree. And then after music didn't work out so well, I went back to school for psychology. Not sure why, I I thought that would be a better option, but uh, I ended up getting a master's degree in cognitive and behavioral neuroscience. And from about 2014 to 2016, I worked in the sort of laboratory that I also did my grad studies in. I I worked in that laboratory Mm -hmm. as an EEG technician. So, Electrophysiology Technician and Analyst. And so, there I was responsible for dealing with the EEG hardware and all of the statistical analyses and data visualization. So, you know, we put sensors on on people's scalp, we show them pictures on a computer screen, and then we measure the electrical activity that emanates from their brain. So, there's a, quite a bit of data processing involved in that. That's where I learned how to code, actually. That was a real turning point in my life because when I started university, I barely knew how to copy and paste, but I started volunteering in this lab and there were some amazing people in there and the environment was incredible. And we were working in MATLAB at the time. So that's sort of my first scripting language would be MATLAB, That's that was my uh, introduction to programming. And then um, in 2016, I, I wanted to try something new. So I took on this position where I am now um, as a temporary researcher, so at the Halton Catholic District School
1: Board. So, okay, what is a school board doing with a researcher? Like, what kind of research does a school board do? Right, so, yeah, we have a, a four people in our research department, and, and we
0: analyze all kinds of data sets. That's actually one of the nice things about working here is, is just the breadth of types of data we deal with. So, I mean, principals, superintendents, teachers, you know, all of the people, especially the people dealing with the students, they need to know about their numbers in order to allocate resources, make decisions, and so on and so forth. So our department would be would be responsible for providing reports and measuring things appropriately so that people can make evidence-based decisions.
1: What do you measure? Like, is it just students' grades? Sort of, but um, we have
0: quite a number of different data sets. So we, we, we do have a standardized academic testing, and we will produce reports for that. Um, but we also deal so with- So that's
1: like, that's government across all of Canada. Correct. Standardized. Exactly. Exactly. So
0: we would be responsible for getting those data sets together and producing reports. And, and also, of mm-hmm. course, exploring that data for interesting trends and things. We deal with geographic data. So data related to the Canadian census, for example, we deal with data in terms of where our students actually go after they leave our board. So are they, are they going into social sciences? Are they going into business? Are they getting into the courses that they're applying for first? That kind of thing. So we have data on post-secondary destinations.
1: So this is kind of uh, like tracking metrics of student success, as much as anything else,
0: that's right. Yes, yeah, so we want to know about all the the success stories, but we also want to know about you know areas where we can do better. Of course, um, we 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 also have like a, a a massive internal database. We call it like our student information system, and that's that's maintained by IT. So that from that database, I can get all kinds of standard numbers like attendance numbers, suspension details, report card marks, grad rates, credits, and, and really it's just like, you know, if you like data, that's a great place to be and it's incredibly helpful.
1: So how big is your student population? How many schools are you covering?
0: We, we are a sort of small to medium sized school board. We have 52 schools and then we also have a few learning centers and uh, that means we have about 30,000 students, uh, I think just over 30,000 students now.
1: Okay. So that's actually that data set over all those students, you are in fact starting to see some serious numbers.
0: Oh yeah. It, it's yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot to go through for sure. Uh, and, and, and we're getting more and more data all the time. We also put out our own surveys that uh, and some of them are, are will go out to like essentially every student and we'll get self-report sort of perceptual data on things related to say risky behavior or emotional health bullying that kind of thing we just have it's 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 a staggering amount of data for such a small research department, I would say.
1: So, I mean, what's what's the output here? What's the goal of collecting all of this data? Is it that you have, like, you know, a bullying in this school dashboard in the staff room? Like, mm. you know, who are your customers, if you like?
0: So, principals and vice principals are definitely our our main stakeholders, I would say, but but it trickles down, right? Because then they will give that information in the way that they see fit to their teachers and 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 so on. So. I mean, most of our data sets are targeted to um, principals, vice principals, but also to superintendents. So they're sort of like a, a level up. Um, so uh, what's the superintendent, uh, what and what are they using these
1: this set for? They're,
0: they're like more like senior administration. So they so they will take our. Uh, data sets and they will read them and and they'll say, oh, well, look at this school, you know, they need help here or there, and then they will make decisions. So, and it's 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 uh, every superintendent, well, several superintendents will actually have kind of like a portfolio of schools that they deal with. Mm-hmm. And then, so so they're sort of, they have like a school grouping and, and then obviously the
1: principals um, have their own school to deal with. So what do they want to know? You have this or I mean, all this fire hose of data, and you know, I'm, I'm sure you can make graphs at them till the cows come home. Like, them <laughs> but why? Why have they created the research department? What is it that they actually wanted to know about your school system's performance?
0: Well, everybody seems to want to know something different. Um, there is not the, the principals will come to me with very custom requests you know they'll be asking for very specific demographics or they'll say you know we we think that people who score in this range are actually at risk for xyz can you dig into the data and address that question so but but to answer your question more broadly there's a big emphasis in school boards right now to try to make whatever decisions they're making at whatever meetings they're in to try to have supporting data for those decisions. And so I think our department is kind of a general answer to, if you're going to make a decision and you need data to support that or refute that you need to go to the research department and ask them how to properly measure that and ask them if they can dig into the data and, and retrieve those results. So there isn't a single thing that, that everybody wants necessarily um it's it's quite it can be quite custom and also sometimes people don't know what they want you know so then it would be up to us to dig into the data identify trends and actually present findings to people and say well you may not have wanted this but here's something we discovered that you might be interested in.
1: So so do they come to you with like a really open-ended question? Can you give me an example of that?
0: They do actually. And Anvil is kind of related to this. We can always talk about really simple metrics like the number of kids who scored above the provincial average on EQAO or something. You know, everybody's probably... What is EQAO? To... So EQAO is our standardized academic testing. Okay. But yeah, so there's some there's there's obviously some similar simple metrics that people want to hear about. But but as I said before, I actually used a good example. I I got an email from someone and they were saying, look, any anyone who scores between this range and this range on EQAO, we're afraid that this range is in is is actually. Um, they were referring to them as sort of like on the fence students. They weren't very much below the provincial average, but they weren't very much above the provincial average either. <laughs> so, they were kind of teeter-tottering on this kind of arbitrary benchmark. And so the the staff member was asking me, you know, can you find me a way of actually getting these students back so I can look at some of the related data to these students like maybe if I pull back John Smith, I know he's He's one of these sort of teeter-tottering students, for example. can is there a way for me to see John Smith's record and also see all kinds of other interesting numbers about him, like let's say um, I wanna see all of his EQAO, so his reading, his writing, his math marks, but I also maybe wanna see his report card mat, uh, marks and maybe some of his attendance uh, uh, numbers and maybe and so all of the sort of linked data.
1: So how do you answer these questions? Uh, you know, are we talking like big Excel sheets? Are we talking ad hoc queries? And I mean, some of this stuff is much more open-ended exploration that could, you know, end up taking all day in emails mm-hmm. back and forth, saying, "Can you get me stuff for this student?"
0: That's exactly right. Some of them are sufficiently open-ended that it's actually better to provide an interface for people to express a flexible query that's. You know, that's actually possible for them to express as they sort of whittle down uh, their question into something that's actually specific. So there is a lot of um, discussion around how to do that best. And we've used Anvil uh, to, to
1: address that. So, can you talk about the journey, for, th- the, your journey there then? Like, you know, how did you start out? And how did, you know, uh, when you arrived, uh, what? tools were you using and how have you built up this toolkit to be Mm -hmm. able to interrogate these data sets in a way that makes sense to your principals, to your superintendents? Well, to be honest with you, even though my
0: title is research analyst and I'm on paper, it's sort of about, you know, identifying trends and things. Those are actually the things like, as you said, can take months of Exploration, and you sort of, you know, you can run into like a lot of uh, dead ends and things. Meanwhile, people want numbers, so you have to <laughs> keep working on other things. So, it it can be it can be a delicate balance, you know, sort of wanting to be a, a, a true scientist and really digging in, uh, and and exploring versus producing reports for known metrics and things. When I started, the main challenge was really report automation. So remember how before we were talking about saying that there are a number of metrics and numbers that everybody kind of wants to see. You know, they're going to want to know, you know, how many kids are, you know, above or uh, meeting the expectations for provincial math or something. You know, there's always going to be certain numbers people want to see. Well, all of those numbers get put into reports. So documents with text and charts. Mm -hmm. So when I first got there, I realized that whoa, I'm not going to be able to explore any data because all of my time is going to be taken up making these reports for principals, vice principals, and so on and so forth. And, and how are you making these reports when you arrived? When I arrived, I was using Word and MATLAB because those are the skills that I had when I first started at the board. I realized immediately within like a week that that was not going to work um, because every every data set that we have essentially has to be turned into 52, at least 52 reports. And each report ha- is going to have many charts in it and you know a whole bunch of text. So then I switched to Jupyter Lab. So I, I now I use, uh, I'm really thrilled with the Python ecosystem here. So when I want to write a report, I use a Jupyter notebook, I've got all my markdown, I've got my code, I've got my inline charts, and those charts are are um, I I make them using the fantastic new library uh, called Altair, which is a, from Jake Vanderplas, and uh, it allows me to create very nice statistical charts very very quickly. The API is so so smooth, and uh, the charts are interactive. So now um, I wrap all of that up into a loop. And basically, click a button, and I've got 52 reports. Each of them have dozens of charts in, that are interactive, and in all of the text, and and it's all automated.
1: So uh, at this point, you've you've got to a point where you have Jupyter notebooks that you can presumably like you know tweak a couple of parameters at the top, saying okay, and now I want the report for this six months or this cohort of students, and it will partially automate this it, uh in that it will go over the 52 schools and produce one graph for each each school that kind of thing
0: more like it will produce like 30 graphs for each school and a whole bunch of text and everything so it'll actually produce um doc, uh, like multi-page documents for every school um but and yeah you
1: generating but, those in Jupyter lab and then yes. like printing them out or
0: i'm 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 um i'm building a template in jupyter lab and then i'm using a library called paper mill which allows you to parameterize Mm -hmm. uh parameterize uh, jupyter notebooks so it's i mean it's it's nothing more than iteration and every time through through a a loop essentially you're passing another uh another uh school name that filters uh sort of uh central data frame and then Then the rest of the notebook stays the same it gets saved to an html document and all the code blocks are removed and then it's ready to be shipped off to um you know to uh, a principal and, and there won't be any code in it or anything it'll just be
1: interactive charts and text and everything will look nice so you that was your first step after arriving taking one look around and going okay uh if i carry on like this i am going to be spending 28 hours a day, just pasting graphs into Word documents. Uh, let's automate this. And you picked up Jupyter Notebook and got yourself introduced to the Python ecosystem.
0: That's correct. I, that's how I learned Python. Just uh, I realized right away, I needed to get out of uh, using MATLAB. And um, you're absolutely right. You would spend months doing this manually. And I, I had to automate that away. Otherwise, I would never be able to do the more interesting
1: things. How long did it take you to sort of to automate the standard reports to an extent that you had enough elbow start considering other things?
0: All told, it probably took me a year to get the lay of the land. And, um, you know, I was also learning a new language and doing a lot of research on, you know, what are people using to do this kind of thing? So,
1: I mean, maybe just under a year. How did you then approach some of the more complex stuff? So, for example, when someone wants to do like an exploratory uh, interface to grab, okay, this student now give me all the data about this student. That's the kind of thing that's probably best best done rather than by batch generating reports by building interactive tools. Uh, yes, could you tell me a bit about you know how you came to realize that was necessary and how you went about working out how to do it? Getting to that
0: point, I got there through the desire to do interactive visualizations. And so MATLAB didn't really have a capacity to do web-based interactive visualizations. So when I moved into Python, it was, you know, everybody was using uh, like by everybody, I mean like other researchers in the field, uh, other researchers in school boards were using things like Power BI, Tableau, and other kind of business intelligence, interactive visualization type of tools. And so I knew that at some point I was going to have to move away from static images and move into something more interactive. Now, you can't really look into that too far before you realize, whoa, this is web-based and I have no experience with the web <laughs> at all. So. You know, I started using things like Plotly and Plotly has a related uh, product called Dash, which allows you to build these rich interactive dashboards. And I used, Mm -hmm. honestly, Meredith, I I must have used like half a dozen different BI tools because I knew that I needed to get more into web-based visualization. But that eventually led me to Anvil. And the reason why that was such an important step was because I realized what I needed wasn't necessarily just web-based interactive visualizations. What I needed was a more general web solution that maybe had something to do with the visualizations, but not necessarily. And so once I heard about Anvil from the Talk Python to Me podcast, I was off to the races and,
1: and I knew exactly that's where I needed to be. So it was mo- you wanted more than just interactive graphs. You wanted to be able to drive your code. That is right. I wanted a much more general solution. Yes.
0: What so? Uh, what did you end up doing? I started. I started. So once I discovered Anvil, and I knew, I knew. Okay, I was like, I need to know more about the web. I need to be developing on the web. This is going to be important for this organization not just for visualizations but like you said earlier to give people a kind of front end interface to explore their data so that maybe they don't know their question but they need a way to explore it and so i started thinking you know what what kind of apps would be important for us to build and one of the things that we really struggled with surprisingly is really just more operational we didn't really have a great way of securely sharing a curated list of resources for people in the board. I mean, you could use things like OneDrive or Dropbox and things like that, but in order to maintain a really flexible set of permissions and to kind of stay on top of that and make really clean lists for people, we felt that we needed to build a custom kind of staff portal essentially. And that portal would route our staff members to downloadable media and also additional applications. So basically one of the first things I built in Anvil was a portal for staff to come and get research-related reports and and to access research-related applications. And so
1: these are in fact starting out with just static downloads then?
0: Yep. So the portal so the research portal that we did end up building yes it w- it was essentially a file hierarchy or a folder hierarchy and and uh, people could click on the resource and it was a curated very organized list that couldn't be edited by the user and we would we would put downloadable media there and that's how we would that's how we would disseminate our large amount of reports and things so if you were principal a you would sign into the portal. You would only see the resources that belong to you, and you could just click them and download them. Because frankly, a lot of people either didn't really know what our department did, or didn't really know how to access our resources. And you know, you don't want to be necessarily like sending 52 emails or maintaining uh, um, permissions in OneDrive for you know your entire organization. So. We found Anvil to be a really nice solution for simply just getting the information organized and in a central location for people.
1: It seems to me we're seeing a bit of a pattern, right? You needed something... An almost standardized piece of infrastructure, interactive graphics or file sharing, but you just needed a little bit more logic than those tools could give you. And so what you wanted was something where you could actually write your business logic in real code rather than trying to click through menus to configure access permissions for these 52 schools or whatever.
0: That's absolutely correct. And if you think about it, I mean, really, I'm, I'm the only one in our department who's, who's sort of regularly coding so this whole infrastructure and and all of these sort of automation projects, they're, they're, it's really the only way I could maintain
1: doing this. So how has that expanded uh, or how has that progressed? Uh, you started with uh, fairly straightforward portals for downloading uh, static resources into which you could point your existing report generator. Mm-hmm. How, how did it go on from there?
0: Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Once I discovered I could do these these web interfaces, you know, and I could still leverage Python and everything, it really felt like a door had opened up to a whole area, a whole bunch of things I could do now that I could never do before. Almost every single meeting I would go to, if there was a problem, I found myself raising my hand and saying, "Well, we could create a web application for that. Oh, we 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 could do this with uh, with Anvil, you know," and and and. And it's funny because like so many of them were were actually not difficult. They were not necessarily difficult. It's just that people needed some kind of front-end UI to access their data. And so it extended. Uh, um, well, I can remember one application that got a lot of attention. And, you know, then the floodgates really opened after that is, is our attendance application. So I had someone come to me and ask me, hey, look. Our principals, our vice principals, our social workers, they need a live chart that shows them um, about the sort of uh, habitual or consecutive uh, absence or attendance issues in their school. So a principal needs to go somewhere and see a live set of numbers that says, oh, my gosh, there are, you know, 20 kids who have been consecutively absent for five days know, in the last month or something. So that kind of thing. And there really wasn't a great way for principals to get that information through other means. It was possible for them to get it, but it was,
1: it was quite a pain in the butt. And that means that if it's a pain in the butt to get it, that means that information isn't at your fingertips and you're not going to notice that something's going wrong uh, for yeah. however many more days, right?
0: that's right and it, it turns out there are like we we have like a there are certain things that have to happen if a child has been away for a certain number of days consecutively there are certain things that go, go into motion so it's actually quite uh it's it's very important information and you're absolutely right that because it was so difficult to get through standard means people were just not getting it and so i built this attendance application and it allows you to you know, select your sort of, you know, what's the threshold of consecutive absences that you want to see, and then it will just refresh the charts right there on the webpage. And everything is super secure and, and permission-based. So when you go in there, if you're a social worker, you see certain number of schools. If you're a principal, you only see your schools. So it's very flexible and very maintainable actually, even, even just for, for me to do it. So once people saw that attendance app, Basically, the phone was ringing off the hook. People wanted web applications for everything. and and that basically was the beginning of my job really changing uh, in terms
1: of how I spend my time. So what has it changed into? What happened?
0: So I, I don't I, I would consider myself more of like a general data person now. I am still doing, you know I, I'm developing machine learning models. i'm I'm doing algorithm development. I'm doing this report generation. But now I've got this whole other thing, which is web development, you know all, all of these web applications. so i'm I'm the person who uh, would basically you would go to if you wanted a web application. and that's just become sort of an additional thing that was never really in my job description um prior to two years ago prior to anvil.
1: I guess this is a I mean, It's a thing that people don't really realize until they see a concrete example like that attendance app. But Mm -hmm. it's really easy not to notice the difference between it's possible to get this information and it's easy to get this information. You can do it before you finish saying the question. Mm -hmm. And once people like saw the possibility, then they're always going to want more.
0: Yes, because Anvil changed the way people think here. Right, it, it it changes. It changed the way I thought about presenting data. It's funny, but even the term web application, that was never a thing before Anvil got into my head. I mean, no one was even saying the word web. I mean, maybe folks in IT would say that term web application, but now, now you hear teachers saying it, principals saying it. All the staff around our central board office, I mean, anyone who's had a connection with our department knows that what that word is now because of, you know, the work that we've been doing with Anvil. So it really has changed the landscape.
1: Because it's a thing that they realize is possible now.
0: That's right. You know, they've given it a name and and the thing, the thing that I hear a lot of is... Folks are very surprised at how quickly simpler side of the web applications can be done. Like if, if, you know, several, several times people have said, oh my gosh, we just had a meeting about that two days ago, and now you have a working prototype online I can just go to? That seems impossible. But, you know, they, they, they don't realize how, how polished of a tool Anvil is, you know, and how easy it makes it.
1: Let's dive into that, because you've mentioned a couple of times that uh, Anvil was an enabling technology for this. What is it about Anvil that has turned this from a thing that you that people theoretically knew was out there somewhere in the world into something that can arrive on their desk two days after the meeting where you've decided it was a good idea?
0: There's really two things that, that are really impressive about Anvil from my perspective. And you have to realize that I have absolutely no web background. Okay. Yes, I know how to process data, but I don't really, the web is a whole other ballgame. And so the first thing is that Anvil allowed someone like me, who's sort of a general data scientist, to actually engage in building web applications, So that's, so that, that's one thing that's really important. I I felt that the barrier to entry was incredibly low for Anvil and that's saying, that's saying something. Okay. And then the second thing, the level of, of of abstraction that Anvil chooses so that it kind of, it kind of says, look, here are the things that you're probably going to want to do, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. that, that the choices that you guys made in terms of you know how the apis are structured and and the sort of like here's what the common person is going to be able, want to do quickly that really fit with the sorts of things that our organization needs so that means i can develop quickly and the speed of development is so 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 critical especially
1: when you're the only one doing it that's really interesting Uh, That you bring up levels of abstraction because uh, something you mentioned earlier, uh, the Altair library is something that we don't have Mm -hmm. out of the box support for with Anvil. So like there's some stuff that we help you do immediately, but you actually, Mm -hmm. uh, you dug down into a bit of HTML to make that library into a thing you could use with Anvil.
0: That's correct. Yes. I really love the Altair library. Um, in and of itself. I, I really love the sort of grammar of graphics based thing. And so I decided, I decided I would take that kind of route just to see how far I could go with it, uh, if I could incorporate Altair with the Anvil infrastructure. And I actually prefer Altair over Plotly for the very simple statistical visualizations that we're doing. So that was kind of more of a Let's see if I can make this work here. or do I have to use do I have to use you know a certain visualization library when I'm using Anvil, or can I just use my favorite visualization library? And it turns out you can just use your favorite visualization library. Okay. so, well,
1: and we've seen on the forums, right? You've then turned around and built an abstraction level over that, so it's about as easy for you to use as it would be to use anything else.
0: Yes, that's right. Once you put that initial effort into there, and you kind of see how it works, then yeah, it, it becomes quite straightforward. So I guess
1: my point is that even if Anvil didn't come with the abstraction that did exactly what you wanted, you were able to build your own.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. The this the um, your ability to kind of go deeper as as your skill level enables you to is I mean that's totally there with Anvil. I mean, there's people doing things in Anvil that are completely mind-boggling to me. (laughs) So, yeah, there's... Well, and hopefully we'll have them on the
1: podcast (laughs) soon. Can you tell me what kind of impact this has had on the school board, your system as a whole? Now, remember the size of our board. We only
0: have 52 schools. Mm -hmm. Um, But we we serve about 300 users. Um, That's a lot. That's basically the entire layer of... The top layer of the school. So like principals, vice principals, school secretaries, and then um, several other people from our central board location. So we're actually there for quite a large number of users in our organization. Everybody knows about the portal now and everybody knows that that's where to go to find research information.
1: So this suite of tools you've created has now become an integral part of how all 52 schools look after all 3,000 of those pupils
0: absolutely it, it it truly is integral i don't know what we would do without it now and actually it, you know i look at the numbers over time as well and and of course over the course of the last year the usage on the portal has just gone up and up and up and now yeah i mean compared to some other organizations it's not like it's not like we're getting you know i don't know a million visitors a day or anything but for us at like at our scale and considering that it's maintained by a single person if a dozen people go to the portal to download something that's that they need to help their students, and that happens every day, that's a pretty big proportion of, of 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 our of our overall organization. So we're really thrilled with it. We have at least a dozen apps now in production, doing all kinds of different things, and they're all accessible through our central portal. So it's a really nice system.
1: So. In the process of building this suite of tools, in the process of taking this school board from an organization that had a research department but basically produced reports once in a while to a school board that has the important data at its fingertips the whole time, what surprised you? Did you run into anything that made you go, huh, that wasn't what I expected? Yes, there
0: were a few things that come to mind. And of course, looking back on it, uh, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised by these things, but they are they are surprises nonetheless. So we had talked a bit about, about sort of how people's thinking changes when they are experiencing new technology. And I was just very surprised at how the whole concept of web applications and sort of front end UIs living in the browser, how that has really permeated the board's thinking. And so the idea of traditional static PDFs, like point in time documents, that idea now is getting less and less attractive for many sort of projects and, and, and problems that need to be solved. So, you know, you will often find now in meetings, people will say things like, well, do we really need a static document for that? Or can we ask the research department to to do this on the web like they did X, Y, Z? Ah. And so it, it's really changed how people want to solve problems. Um, the second thing I would say is that, and, and and I mean this in in a way that should reflect well on Anvil, is really that I'm surprised that I'm able to maintain this. Um, and, and, and we talked about these, these wonderful levels of abstraction. And, and I really, uh, I think Anvil is a great tool for just about anyone who knows a bit of Python. So that, that should reflect well on the tool. And I think lastly, you know, when I first started at the board, I thought, oh my gosh, like this board needs machine learning and this, and the robust statistics and, you know, It needs all of this sophistication, but what I realized was, yes, that's true, but there is a lot of low-hanging fruit that really requires just a simple, flexible, front-end user interface so that people can interact with their data in some way. And that low-hanging fruit can be incredibly effective in terms of helping students. And so, uh,
1: so that was also surprising. Well, I think that's a great thought to leave it on. If I could leave you with the final question, in one sentence, why Anvil? Anvil allows me to help students in a much more effective way than I would be able to do otherwise. Alan Campopiano, research analyst at the Halton Catholic District School Board in Ontario. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Stories from the Workshop. I've been Meredith Luff. I've been speaking with Alan Campopiano. And if you want to find out more about Anvil or to subscribe to this podcast, you can find us at anvil.works. This episode was edited by Baz Richardson, the music's by Signal Smith, and I'll be back next month with more stories from the workshop. See you next time.